Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of MedTech POV, the podcast brought to you by AdvaMed, the world's largest industry group for medical technology companies. I'm your host, Scott Whitaker, President and CEO of AdvaMed. And today, we're pleased to have with us Nadine Yared, President and CEO of CBRX, an innovative medtech company in the cardiovascular space. Nadine was born and raised in Lebanon and has had a remarkable career at medtech companies, both large and small. Prior to his time at CVRX, he led major divisions at both Medtronic and GE with tremendous success. I know he'll have some great insights for us all today as we talk about his career in medtech. He also has a fascinating personal background that I know you'll enjoy hearing about as well. He's currently chairman of the board of directors at NAMSA, the North American Science Associates, and recently served as chairman of our board of directors here at AdvaMed, where he did an incredible job as our first chair from a small medtech company. So please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Nadine Yared. I know you'll learn a lot as you listen. All right, welcome, Nadine. It's great to have you on the podcast. Same here, Scott. Looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, I always like to start these shows by giving the listener a little bit of background into who the person is behind the big title of CEO. And so maybe we can start there with you as well. Tell us a little about your background, where you were born and raised and uh, how you grew up. I was born in Lebanon, in Beirut, in uh, the late 60s. Unfortunately, the war started in Lebanon in 1975, and I was still at a young age, so I barely remember my life before war, basically. So I kind of grew up during the war in Lebanon, uh, left Lebanon in 1990, I moved to Cyprus. I lived one year in Cyprus, not by choice, but I loved living in Cyprus. It was really nice. I started working there with a software company, then applied for a school in France, got accepted, moved to France, did my engineering degree there. It's the second one, two years. Started in my second year an internship with General Electric at their research facility not far from Paris. And I ended up working with them for almost a decade after my degree in Paris, and it's actually through GE that I uh, end up moving to the United States with my family. Okay. Were you with GE on the healthcare side of the business or on another side of the business? Yes, it used to be called GE Medical Systems back then. GE acquired, actually they swapped the business with Thomson, a French electronic company. So that French electronic company used to own a radiology business called CGR. And GE swapped this versus their radio and TV sets. If you recall, okay. back in the days, GE used right. to manufacture radio sets. And right. so they sold this to that French company. And in return, they bought that medical business that is located about 20 kilometers south of Paris, focusing on X-ray imaging. And I started working in software development and I made a name for myself very early stage in engineering, actually. But I had a lot of fun. It was right. a blast working at GE in the early days. You were trained as an engineer in undergrad and then mm -hmm. went to business school as well. That was in France, right? Yeah. So I started working at GE and as an intern, uh, they were developing this big hardware-based console to alleviate the workflow from the CT scanners. So basically, if you think about the workflow in the 80s, when a patient is undergoing a CT scan, the radiologist is waiting. 
and they can yeah. only review those images after the patient is leaving, but then they're monopolizing the CT just to review the previous exam. Not efficient. Right. So GE decided to develop a secondary hardware station to alleviate that so the radiologist can have their own station to review the exam while the technician is scanning the second patient. That big hardware, they hired me as an intern to develop the software to actually debug it, basically to ah. as an environment for development so that every engineer can now test their own software without having to go to that big hardware. And I've optimized it so much that it became faster, actually, than the big hardware thing, uh, wow. the magnifying glass and stuff like this that we did all in software. So we end up using that software as a product. We called it Advantage Windows that became the Advantage Workstation and became a very successful product within GE. Mm -hmm. And that became also, the at the end, the imaging platform for all of their CT scanners, MRI scanners, X-ray imaging, and so forth. So as the lead architect of that platform, I became a little bit famous back in the days at mm. GE. So three years into engineering, I really wanted to go into the dark side of marketing. Right. And GE would not give me this opportunity because allegedly I was too good at engineering and it would be a shame <laughs> and a waste. So I decided to take a year off and I okay. did my MBA at a school in Paris. Actually, it's in Fontainebleau, about 60 kilometers south of Paris. The name of the school is INSEAD, I-N-S-E-A-D. Those who know, know INSEAD. Great school. I loved it. It was a very rich year. It's probably the most fun year I've had. After this uh, GE, so it was Dow Wilson actually hired yeah. me back from MBA, okay. from my MBA program to uh, basically join his marketing team. Right. The wow. mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. So you came into GE really as an engineer, made a name for yourself in the software and engineering space. But then found, I assume, yourself attracted back to GE to some degree because of the healthcare side of it, right? Not just the business side of it. When was it yeah. that you thought, you know, I love this business of healthcare. I don't want to stay in it. So I have to go a little bit more personal in here. My family is from a village in the mountain in Lebanon. And when my father was a young graduate MD, general practitioners, basically. He was the only doctor in the entire mountain chain. Mm. And I'm his elderly son. And the way the, in the Middle East things work, the assumption is that the elder son will take over the business of the father. So I've been basically stamped from my early years that I will become a doctor. Right. When I turned 16, 17, I started working for the Red Cross volunteering had a lot of good leadership experience volunteering with the Red Cross, the first A-team. Actually, during the war, we were the only group working on the ground to go and help people wounded during right. you know, shelling, bombs, and so forth. So that was kind of my foray into the medical world early on with the Red Cross. When I did my second engineering degree, although it was software, I had the choice because it was an image processing on whether I go and work with the military industry in France with particularly the satellite imagery at the time. This was really right. cool to be in doing this or medical imaging. And I selected the medical imaging path. I love this. I, you know, yeah. it's for me the ability to combine my two passion, healthcare and technologies right. together. That's uh, that's how I, I returned back to G. I actually had an 
at the end of my MBA, seven offers from banking, okay. from consultancy, and from two companies, two industries, okay. two in the, actually industrial companies. One was Philips Medical Systems, and the second was GE Medical Systems. And GE made me dream. They had a great vision and a great team and a great leadership program. And, you know, yeah. Dow Wilson is a phenomenal leader as well. I loved working for him. Yeah. I want to come back and ask you about Dow because you've told me about him before and how much you enjoyed working for him. But once you left GE, you stayed in the medical technology space, right? And at some point moved to Medtronic and then your journey to CVRX. Tell me about that that journey to Medtronic and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to take on this challenge of a small company and leading that. In GE, I got promoted a couple of times after my MBA, and I end up running the surgical imaging business of GE. And Jack Welch did not like surgery. He did not like the potential liabilities of GE mm. being in the surgical field. Right. So I was the basically the, the ugly duck, if you think, within the GE portfolio businesses. And our business, the surgical C-arms, was number four. And under Jack Welch, you have to be a number one or number two. Yeah. Remember this, number one, number two, you fix it or you sell it. And if neither, you close it, right? You right. have no choice. You cannot be number three. I was number four. So I started fixing that business. And part of the fix was for me to identify that we could acquire a company based in Salt Lake City called okay. OEC Medical. We end up buying this company. I moved my family to Salt Lake City to do the integration. That's, you know, what was my first experience in the United States. And, and I was, you know, doing the integration of OEC, we identified a business that was part of Medtronic at the time that we thought this business would be a great fit for GE. And I can talk about it now because it's been 20 years, right? Yeah. And that business was the surgical navigation technology. It's you know, kind of a GPS, basically, for surgeries. And we had discussions with Medtronic about it. Metronic ended up deciding not to sell this business to GE, but rather buy me from GE in a way. Ah, they, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, the person you might know, actually, you know, two of them, Art Collins was the CEO and right. Michael Demain was running the spine sector. So right. Michael Demain ended up hiring me from GE to run the navigation business at Metronic in Boulder, in the Rockies. Okay. So for my wife and us, since we had already previous experience living in Salt Lake City and the Rockies, we loved that part of the country. Right. Coming back to Boulder felt very natural for us. So right. we moved from Paris to Salt Lake to Paris and now back to Boulder. Wow. And that was our journey. Right. Some of our furniture shipped three times across the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> and then how many years with Medtronic before you uh, decided to go to CBRX? Four and a half years. Okay. okay. Yeah, not too long. Yeah. What was it that caused you to really consider leaving a company like Medtronic that is large and very, very successful, obviously, and a company like GE, another large and very, very successful company, to lead a small company in an innovative space like that? What was it that convinced you this was the right next step for you? This is a great way of articulating the question, Scott. Some of it relates to the fact at the time that that business within Medtronic, the navigation business, was a capital equipment business. Mm. Medtronic had two capital equipment businesses. One was physio control, and the second was Medtronic navigation. Okay. 
the writing was on the wall that those businesses did not fit in uh, that time's Medtronic's portfolio. Yeah. You know, in terms of the selling cycles, margins, you name it, they're very different. You know, 510K versus PMAs and on and on. Everything is different. So I decided that maybe we should explore other strategic alternatives for that business within Medtronic. Right. And we explored those over nine months. And at the end of this process, I felt that two things. Number one, I'm more intrigued by running a startup than being a part of a big corporation. And number right. two, I felt that my loyalty toward Medtronic might be questioned based on this right. process. So there was a call from a recruiter trying to get me to consider joining CVRX at the time. Right. And I answered and had some early discussions with them. Liked the story a lot. I was not their first choice. Had to fight like crazy to convince them. At one episode, I'm going to take you back to July 2006. The word in Lebanon was perfect. George W. Bush was the United States president. He scared the Syrians out. You know, they basically left Lebanon back then, a year right. before that, in 2005. So 2006, took the family with the kids to Lebanon. We were having blast, you know, a lot of weddings from the remote family that we participated in. Then we made a mistake. We left the kids with the grandparents, and my wife and I went cruising in the Greek islands for five days. Okay. During these five days, Hezbollah decided to attack and kidnap seven soldiers from mm. Israel. Right. And then, if you recall, this was uh, the big operation of Israel trying to recover or at least to block, you know, uh, Hezbollah and try to destroy Hezbollah. Right. Our kids were in Lebanon mm. and we were in, in the Greek islands. So we end up being smuggled back into Lebanon by a taxi driver from Syria through the uh, dirt road in the mountain and the U.S. Marines evacuated us right. to Cyprus. Right. That evening of the evacuation evening, I had my youngest at the time, three-year-old on my shoulder. We jumped on a landing craft unit. My two kids, the other two kids, so they were five and seven-year-old, were holding the hands of their mom and we ran on this landing craft unit. So a landing craft unit, if you, just for the audience here to understand, these are the boats that you would see in the World War II movie where right. they, you know, they go to the shore, yeah. they drop, and then you, a tank can go Run down on the yeah. shore. Right? That's what we were using at the time. The Marines were using this to move us, uh, the population basically, from the shore to the helicopter carrier that was right. safe in the ocean. So I had, you know, water down up to the, you know, my almost knee level on this um, landing craft unit and my phone rings and I answered and it was the recruiter. Oh, and goodness. I was telling, trying what to tell him, you know, call. imagine that scene. It's 10 p.m. at night. You've got a couple of helicopter, hovercraft, a couple of Zodiacs, a lot of people with a lot of heavy machinery to right. protect right, the population from the Hezbollah shellings and flares in the air and ev all of that noise, etc. And when my phone rang, I thought, okay, this is my dad. He just want to make sure that, you know, we are okay. I answered. And I tried to tell him, like, Mike, this is not the right time for me to talk about joining CVRX. Right. And he's answered, like, not him, every single, you know, candidate for a CEO. I talked to them. They say the same thing. This is not the right time. Right. I was like, Mike, this is really not the right time. <laughs> <laughs> so a week later, I was, you know, when we were back to the United States, I had to explain to him 
why I was short with him on the phone. Right. He had a blast about, you know, how calm and my demeanor was in this situation. And he said if he was the board of CVRX, he would hire me on the spot. Right. So the board of CVRX hired me right after that, maybe not on the spot, but shortly right. after this. And it was really a big thing for me to move from a big established enterprise like Medtronic, one of the best run companies in the medtech space, to now running my own show at CVRX. And at the time, we were about less than 20 employees. Yeah. Talk about that transition for you, particularly from a leadership standpoint, because moving from a large company with an established culture like Medtronic or a large company like GE or any other large company with an established culture, you're moving into a completely new environment. You've got to establish your own culture your own way of doing business, satisfy investors and a board and a variety of things, that came with a whole different set of challenges, I suspect, maybe than you even realized at times. Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. So one thing eased it for me is the fact that this business in Medtronic was a little bit different than the rest of Medtronic. Okay. And at the time, I had an agreement with the CEO of the time, Art Collins, that I can run this business like a startup. Okay. And I felt that, okay, so it's at the time when I joined that business of Medtronic, it had 180 employees in that business. So it's a, think about it like a larger startup, but still running it like startup, we take our bicycles, go to, to work in shorts and t-shirt. It was in Boulder, very high-tech environment. Right, right. We were running it very different than Memphis or Minneapolis, where the other business of Medtronic were. So I thought that because of this experience, my transition to CVRX is going to be seamless, and it was not. Mm. It's a whole different world when suddenly your balance sheet is your responsibility. Right. When you're running a division in a large company, you have a responsibility for the P&L, not the balance sheet. Right, right. You know, all of the treasury, everything else, the cash is available. You know, if you need to do an investment, you don't think twice. You don't wonder if you can pay the salaries, these paychecks, or you have to, you know, ask people to delay. You don't ask these questions when you're running a business in Medtronic, even a startup in Medtronic. Right. But when you're running a startup like CVRX, that's a big thing. Now it is your responsibility. The second thing I did not realize is that when you are running a PNL in a business like in a company like Medtronic, you have one boss, maybe two. And when you have two, you complained, hey, it's a matrix. I don't know how to deal with this. Right. And now, as a CEO of a small company, I have a board. Now, they're not yeah. my bosses, but also I'm not their boss. So right. it's a different situation. Right. I had to learn this. Yeah. I had to learn how to manage my board. I had to learn how to present to investors, how to talk to investors. I had to learn that entire language right. that the investor space uses. I have to build a network and all of the connections in this space, which I did not have before. Yeah. So it was a lot of... Long nights, but really fun. When you think about it, the difference between working at Medtronic versus working at CVRX, your band of emotion is much narrower at Medtronic. Your right. lows are not as low and your highs are not as high Yeah, as compared yeah. to working at CVRX. Right. So Nadim, talk a little bit about learning how to manage investors as the CEO of a startup and a small company. You mentioned earlier that you hadn't dealt with that at a big company. It had to be a real challenging aspect of that role. You do not manage investors. <laughs> <laughs> they manage <Yeah>. you. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> you know, 
one thing that surprised me early on is how smart and rapid thinkers most investors are in MedTech. Yeah. A quick study. Right. They directly spot your weakness or the weakness in your story, and they do deep diving into this area that they may have never heard before. Right. And suddenly they, you feel like they're even more expert in this field than you are. Yeah. And it's destabilizing initially until mm. you figure out that it is part of the game. Right. Right. So they're trying to push you as a CEO to understand, are you good at the surface only or are you good deep? Right. And it's interesting. I enjoyed every single one of those presentations because I felt this like a sports match. Yeah. If I get out of it alive, I'm ecstatic, right? You yeah. know, have a glass of beer after this. Say, yeah. You know what? I did 10 presentations today and I survived them. But really, the questions that you receive as a CEO from investors tell you more about your business than you'd ever think you've known. And that's um, interesting. That for me was a surprise. Yeah. I did not expect that. I, you yeah. know, you see those investors most often, they're younger, right? And the age fights. Right. And many of them did not have prior experience working in industry. Right. So you would think, okay, you know what? I'm going to bullshit my way through it. And nope, this is yeah. not going to go well, right? right? So if you don't know your materials well, if you don't know your space well, you are going to stumble. Yeah. The other thing I realized when working with VCs is to understand early on what is driving them. Each of them has a different mm-hmm. drive, right? So sometimes they have figured it out themselves and they can articulate it to you. And they tell you, hey, our right. investment strategy is this. We're looking for stories that are A, B, C, D, that have demonstrated why, and they're at this stage. But many VCs, either they have not figured it out themselves this way, or they don't want to share that with you. Right. And you have to figure it out so that you understand how to position the good points in your stories in that light. Yeah. Now, yeah. you cannot put lipstick on a pig here. So if your story does not fit their investment strategy, I would say don't waste your time. It's unlikely, yeah. very unlikely that you'll get them to change their entire investment strategy just for you. Yeah. But often your story fits what they're looking for, but you may not have realized how to position it well and highlight the element in their stories that connect the dots for them. And that takes a while to learn. I struggled initially. Yeah. I really struggled. <laughs> yeah. I do recall my first JP Morgan in January of 2007. I started giving presentations and I barely knew my science at this time. You know, this is my first foray into cardiology, into neuromodulation. All of that field was novel to me. And I thought, okay, I know enough to give the presentation. Right. Oh, man. You know, they ate me alive. Right. In some ways, it's easier to ask the question than answer it. Right. And it puts the CEO in that role really on the spot a lot to be prepared for every iteration of a question because you can't afford to miss some, right? Yep. 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 Even a hesitation, Scott. Right. Or sweating or, mm, 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 you know, ooming, hum, humming during the answer of a question. Right. Would raise a lot of concerns in the eyes of a VC. One of my meetings, it was sitting around the table. So this was pre-Zoom days, right? Sitting around the table. I was maybe in my 10th presentation that day. So I sat down around the table, and if you can image it, I put 
my elbow on the table and my chin on my hand. And you saw me doing this sometimes at Advamed, right? right? This position. Out. That killed the presentation. Is wow. Nadim is low energy. Wow. You're out. Right. You know, a simple thing like that, even at you know presentation number 10, it doesn't matter because they're looking at signs to figure right. out, are you upbeat? Are you excited about your story? Could you right. have the stamina? Can you handle the pressure right. and so forth? Right. And many of them will tell you, it's like a real estate, location, location, location. In investment, they tell you it's management, management, management. Mm. What they mean is often CEO, CEO, CEO. Right. Are you a horse that they are willing to bet on irrespective right. of the company you have? Right. Okay. And if the answer is yes, then they'll look at the company. If the answer is no, no matter what gold you're sitting on, then they probably are not going to look at. Yeah. Well, it may have been a little choppy for you at the start, but you've been there how many years now and you've had a very nice run. Talk about where CVRX is today. Yeah, I've been running CVRX for 15 years. Yeah. So it is an overnight success after all. We just did our IPO a couple of months ago. So July 2nd was the official date. And yeah. a week later, we were in New York City and we rang the bell. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, literally and physically, right? So it right. was a, a fantastic experience. Right. So it has been a long run. We had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. In my short speech at uh, the uh, NASDAQ ceremony, I spoke about you know how people wrote our eulogy multiple times, and yet right. here we are, right? And right. the kind of goes to the resilience of the team at CVRX, mm. who kept you know the compass pointing north, and they kept plowing through with all of the energy of the world thinking every day about that patient that uh, you know came to our barbecue picnic in the summer of 2007 and his family. What right. would they do if we're not here to help them? Yeah. Uh, that was the driver all of the time. And it, yeah. uh, it worked. It worked. Yeah, it did. And congratulations on the IPO and the success you've had. For those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. For more episodes, visit advamed.org slash podcast or subscribe to MedTech POV on your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, this is Scott Whitaker. Have a great day.